Hello everyone, and welcome to Gunk Analysis, a life philosophy podcast for the Goblin set. My name is Fig, I will be the host of this podcast, um, and I wanted to do a little disclaimer at the beginning before we get started, that although this is classified and subtitled as a philosophy podcast, I am a philosopher in the same sense that a baby with a shovel is a farmer, meaning I have tools at my disposal, and I likely have a rough idea of how one uses them, Um, but my methodology is likely going to be less than ideal. Uh, This is not intended to be a deep exploration of theory. I do that in my essays for school. This is meant to simply be a conversation or monologue, depending on whether or not I have a guest, um, that can keep you company and maybe help you think through some things, or to help you drift off to sleep, or give you a laugh when I say dumb shit. So welcome. If any of those things appeal to you, I really appreciate you listening, and I hope that you stick around. So we're going to start today with something that will be very easy for me to talk and ramble about, giving myself sort of an easy in tonight, as it's my first episode. So tonight, we are going to be talking about, you guessed it, poetry, and the theory of why poetry is an essential part of human existence and has survived for so long and must therefore be essential, and why I think it is essential. (laughs) Welcome to my thesis. Anyhow, um, I personally uh, have always been a very highly analytical person, as well as a highly emotional person, and as a younger kid, I was drawn a lot to um, STEM fields. I really wanted to be a neuroscientist for a really long time. Um, And part of what I really love about science and what I learned about science from learning a lot about science history and famous experiments and famous findings and new findings in various scientific fields uh, is that you can never really have an absolute truth in science. You just have essentially what we as a community have come up with as our best guess, the thing that we have so far not been able to disprove. Uh, Everything in science is a theory of. And I love that. I love that there is no, absolutely, we've found it, that's it, we're done. It's about doing the best with the information that you have 
and that that is the pure scientific truth that everyone's talking about. And it's really not all that different from the uh, subjective truth that people come to about their own lives. And you're just doing, you're making your best guess with the information that you have. And poetry to me is a beautiful little look at what everyone's best guess at what the fuck is going on is. And how it can create an image or an experience for another person, but that image or experience or sensation that you get from reading a really good poem is never going to be exactly what the author put into it. Nobody, uh, one of my favorite examples of this, which is an example of a very good poem from a very shitty poet, politically speaking. (laughs) Um, But Ezra Pounds in a station of the metro, which is just describing a quick moving train station. And it's 14 words with no verbs. And it goes, the apparition of these faces in the crowd petals on a wet black bough. Which, you know, is a very specific image. But it's tying to another very specific image that he's trying to describe by showing you this universal experience that we've all had of seeing like wet leaves or wet flowers on a wet branch. But no two people are ever going to picture the same exact thing when they picture that wet branch. And so that will change the way in which you're looking at how Ezra Pound saw a metro station. You're simply making your best possible guess with the information that you've been given but into somebody else's brain, into somebody else's experience, into somebody else's emotion and thought. And I think that's a very powerful form of interpersonal communication is sharing our best guess of how to share the feeling, sensation, memory, thought, concept that is inside our head with other people. And then them taking that and doing their best guess of the best way to read it, or the most accurate way to read it. Uh, It's the science of theorizing what is within someone else's head and what their experience is like. And to me, that's a fascinating superpower that poets and readers of poetry get to indulge in. I think... That's that idea of slowing down the brain to the speed of paper so someone else can take a chance to read it and play with it and theorize and test things and reflect different experiences and theories off of it and do a little study on this little corner of your brain. see another person in that way and to feel the feeling that it gives you to connect with someone in that way is so blissful 
but I think once we as humans figured out that it was possible, there was no way we were ever going to stop creating and attempting to create that moment of connection. And you won't feel it with all famous poetry. There are plenty of beautifully written poems out there that make me feel nothing. But when I do find a poem that just hits a little spot in my brain, where I can picture something perfectly, or I can feel a feeling exactly, or at least feel like I'm feeling the exact feeling that that person was experiencing. I'm trying not to say feeling again. Uh, when they wrote it, or at the time that they're writing about. I, I, I don't know. It's just like this euphoric sense of human connection. And it can span centuries and miles and planes of existence. I can connect with the writing of someone who's dead which is just insane to me. <laughs> um, and this applies to all art forms. I'm not just saying poetry. I think you can have these moments with visual art and you can have these moments with music and sound um, and touch and nonverbal communication. But the way in which poetry slows it down and immortalizes it to me, is, is particularly unique. Um, because the English language and all other spoken, written languages have more rules, more like, ex like explicit, written-out rules than any of those other languages of expression. And so it gives us this framework from which to theorize and this great breadth of work that we can compare and contrast with other works in order to build our own new rules about how we as poets or as readers respond to poetry. I'm <laughs> This is a lot of English major bullshit, really. But I do <laughs> truly feel this strongly about poetry. Uh, and I, I do often write essays about this to try and explain how I feel. So I thought it would be a good topic to ramble about. I I had to pause for a moment because my dog kicked my computer. If you can hear him snoring, we'll call that ambiance. <laughs> but I, I heard a story once, I think it was on Radio Lab like several years ago now, about a neuroscientist who essentially recorded herself telling a story um, and played it for other people while they were in brain scanners and then compared their brain scans at different points in the story to a scan of her brain while she was inside the machine telling the story. And that's something I think about, like, I wish I could write a poem 
read it in a brain scanner and then compare my brain scans to those of the people that the poems are about or the people who read the poems that are not really about anyone and just see how close someone is experiencing what I'm experiencing and how much their brain is lighting up in the same way as mine. I think that would be fascinating. But I've also thought about this in the lens of translation. I'm bilingual. I wish I were trilingual. I'm working on it, but I uh, was raised speaking primarily English, but had a Spanish fluent parent in the house who worked in bilingual education. And so I spoke fluent Spanish from a very young age. I was in immersion school and all that. And I uh, have often read poems by the famous Spanish-speaking poets in English, just because that's how they give it to you in English class. But only recently did I start going back and reading the Spanish version as well as the English version or alternating in a book of poetry. And the way in which translation is just another approximation through another lens um, is really fascinating to me because it's a very specific issue. I find different translations of things from languages I don't speak into English uh, definitely help me engage with the text better or worse. I have um, tried to read Proust before, many, many times before college, uh, and I couldn't because it was so dry. And then I found the right translator through a college class uh, signing Swan's Way as reading, and all of a sudden I was obsessed. Like I could not get enough. It was the same book, <laughs> but translated by two different people with two different intentions and two different theories of what is most important in prose and in language and what's the most important to preserve. Um, which really, it, it really shocked me how, how, much, how different it was. So when I was assigned uh, the reading of a Spanish poets, or sorry, a um, Chilean poets, writing but originally in Spanish uh to read it in English for class I actually bought the Spanish version first this time and I felt very very strong connections with the English poems in the book um but and to the Spanish versions but they were vastly different feelings they conveyed like the same basic imagery and message but like the tonality of it was different which again, there are studies on this and the effect of language on how your brain works and even your relationship with time will change when you're in the headspace of one language versus another, which again, I've experienced. But also that translation isn't just the difference between languages, it's also the difference between the people who are writing them because they a translator is really just writing the same poem in a different language. So I did an exercise when I was um, working on an independent project. And I wrote a poem, either in Spanish or English, I don't remember which one was first. But then without looking at it, tried to write the same poem 
a poem that made me feel the same way when I read it to myself back in the other language. I think I started with English, but I don't remember. And they were roughly the same length, roughly the same structure, but the words were not direct translations of each other at all. And I was, I did achieve, personally, I think when I read one in Spanish and one in English, I feel like I'm experiencing the same moment. But the actual descriptions and the words and what they mean, literally speaking, if you translated the Spanish one back into English, it would not make any sense that you would not know that they are the same poem. And I think about that a lot about how it's not necessarily the facts that matter when it comes to communication, it's the feelings and how the other person feels and receives emotion and interaction. Uh, I don't know. I just, I very much love the way in which poetry is just putting on someone else's glasses. I want to circle back to science for a moment because <laughs> I think what I was getting at, at the, in the whole idea of what I like about theorizing and what I like about the impossibility of objective, we've solved it, there's no other options, truth, is that essentially to tie it back to my disclaimer at the beginning wherein I told you to expect all this hot garbage you've since listened to is that we are all truly in essence babies with shovels. <laughs> we are simple beings with as many tools as we can get our hands on doing our best to dig a goddamn hole. <laughs> and I think that's simultaneously the most exciting and relieving and most existentially terrifying thing I've learned in my quote-unquote growing up <laughs> so far has been that genuinely nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. Some people think they know, but they don't. It's just impossible to know. You can know what you have to go on, and you can make your best educated guess on what's going on from there. But all you're ever going to be at the root of it is a baby with a shovel. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm a very insecure person. I have a really hard time sharing my thoughts and my art. <laughs> And uh, people who know me know that I produce like an insane amount of content that no one will ever see. 99% <laughs> of what I make, uh, not another human soul will ever witness it. But I think part of that is because I expect that there's someone out there who has the answer of what is good art and what is living your life correctly. And one of the things that has helped me get closer to escaping from that 
is that genuinely, there is no one. There are people making very good guesses. (laughs) So, I can make a guess, and that's okay. Because no one can prove me wrong yet. They will eventually, but not yet. (laughs) So, in that vein, and in the name of embracing my inner shoulder shovel clutching baby i'm gonna read you some of my poetry because fuck it i'm gonna read you two poems tonight one the first one shall be nasty but not in the fun way in the contemplating my own mortality way and the second one will be sweeter and more emotional and i will talk about it a bit after Alright, the first one is called Temporal Sludge, a cheery name. My pillow reeks of future compost. Tomorrow's decay on my cheek. I fancy myself a stain on the mattress, melting. I don't mind decay. She has long been my mistress. She wears my clothes and leaves them rotting. Repulsive, perhaps, but familiar. My decisions are weighted by the urgencies of the flesh, by the fear of waking blackened, fermenting, separating into simpler substances, sinew and soul and softness that are to be cherished, touched as much as possible, before they must be returned to the sludge. So, nasty, but not in the fun way. I've been contemplating my own mortality a lot. Thank you, Caitlin Dowdy. If you don't know who that is, she's an author. She's a YouTuber. She's a mortician. She's wonderful. I love her. She hosts Ask a Mortician on YouTube. And uh, she's inspired a lot of my recent content. (laughs) Now I'm going to read you a sweeter poem, which is the first poem I ever read out loud to the person that it was intended for. Um, and it was a really big moment for me, so I'm going to read it now, because this poem still makes me very emotional. <laughs> my first love was the moon, bobbing in blue-black ink against the panes of my little glass cage, casting silver breaths against my skin. She soothed the searing in my head to crackling heat. She taught me how to sleep. I was born glowing red, feet first, little sunburst, 4 a.m. in the rattling rain. I gasped an old soul in on my first breath. He haunted my lungs until my head could hold him. That day they planted lilacs. She peeked through them all those airless nights, held my throat open till help came, oiled my breath, staged shadow puppet shows with the plum tree just for me. The first time I knew that I was beautiful, she was there, full and ripe and dripping liquid light that rolled down my skin like summer peach, touched my lips like a kiss, traced my hips. Her face is hidden in your cheek, her light threaded through your eyes, whose gentle tides follow her magnet, and when I float in them, I know that I am beautiful. You are liquid light, rolling down my skin like beaded sweat. You touch my lips with a kiss, trace my hips. 
You are a liquid light, which I've dreamed so long of touching, reaching impossibly ever upwards. Yet here you are, nestled in my neck, pooling in my collarbones like silver honey, to soothe the searing in my head, to embers prickling in my chest. Copper chaos wound with pearly peace, together in skin and bone and breath, the ink of night. So as you heard, (laughs) I got a little emotional in there. And this, for me, was actually the poem that uh, made me start writing poetry again and sharing poetry again in a way that I hadn't done in a very long time. So thank you to the combination of the moon, my partner, and Italo Calvino's The Distance of the Moon, um, which is a wonderful short story. I was inspired to write this poem, and it has altered the way I think a lot. Uh, So I guess that's cheers to my inner baby with shovel. You're trying your best. Keep digging. Well, if you made it to the end, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope I kept you company or entertained you or gave you something to listen to in the background. Or maybe you're asleep. All good. If you do like it and you did listen all the way through, maybe maybe subscribe because I might do this again more regularly if people like it. If people don't like it, I'll just do it when I feel like it. 